Section 134 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 165. London, April 30th, Old Style, 1752. My dear friend, Avoir du Mont is, in my opinion, a very just and happy expression for having address, manners, and for knowing how to behave properly in all companies, and it implies very truly that a man who hath not those accomplishments is not of the world. Without them, the best parts are inefficient, civility is absurd, and freedom offensive. A learned parson, rusting in his cell at Oxford or Cambridge, will season admirably well upon the nature of man, will profoundly analyze the head, the heart, the reason, the will, the passions, the senses, the sentiments, and all those subdivisions of we know not what. And yet, unfortunately, he knows nothing of man, for he hath not lived with him, and is ignorant of all the various modes, habits, prejudices, and tastes that always influence and determine him. He views the man as he does colors in Sir Isaac Newton's prism, where only the capital ones are seen. But an experienced dyer knows all their various shades and gradations, together with the result of their several mixtures. Few men are of one plain, decided color. Most are mixed, shaded, and blended, and vary as much from different situations and vary as much from different situations as changeable silks do from different lights. The man qui a du Mont knows all this from his own experience and observation. The conceited, cloistered philosopher knows nothing of it from his own theory. His practice is absurd and improper, and he acts as awkwardly as a man would dance who had never seen others dance, nor learned of a dancing-master, but who had only studied the notes by which dances are now pricked down as well as tunes. Observe and imitate, then, the address, the arts, and the manners of those qui en du monde. See by what methods they first make, and afterwards improve impressions in their favor. Those impressions are much oftener owing to little causes than to intrinsic merit, which is less volatile, and hath not so sudden an effect. Strong minds have undoubtedly an ascendant over weak ones, as Galagay Marchal d'Ancre very justly observed, when, to the disgrace and reproach of those times, she was executed for having governed Mary of Medicis by the arts of witchcraft and magic. But then ascendant is to be gained by degrees, and by those arts only which experience and the knowledge of the world teaches, for few are mean enough to be bullied, though most are weak enough to be bubbled. I have seen people of superior, governed by people of much inferior parts, without knowing or even suspecting that they were so governed. This can only happen when those people of inferior parts have more worldly dexterity and experience than those they govern. They see the weak and unguarded part, and apply to it, they take it, and all the rest follows. Would you gain either men or women, and every man of sense desires to gain both, il faut du monde. You have had more opportunities than ever any man had, at your age, of acquiring ce monde. You have been in the best companies of most countries, at an age when others have hardly been in any company at all. You are master of all those languages, which John Trott seldom speaks at all, and never well, and consequently you need be a stranger nowhere. This is the way, and the only way, of having Dumont. But if you have it not, and have still any coarse rusticity about you, may not one apply to you the rusticus expectat of Horace? This knowledge of the world teaches us more particularly two things, both which are of infinite consequence, and to neither of which nature inclines us, 
I mean the command of our temper and of our countenance. A man who has had no mon is inflamed with anger, or annihilated with shame, at every disagreeable incident. The one makes him act and talk like a madman, the other makes him look like a fool. But a man who has Dumont seems not to understand what he cannot or ought not to resent. If he makes a slip himself, he recovers it by his coolness, instead of plunging deeper by his confusion like a stumbling horse. He is firm, but gentle, and practices that most excellent maxim, sovite in modo, fortite in re. The other is the volto sciolto a pensieri stretti. People unused to the world have babbling countenances, and are unskillful enough to show what they have sense enough not to tell. In the course of the world, a man must very often put on an easy, frank countenance upon very disagreeable occasions. He must seem pleased when he is very much otherwise. He must be able to accost and receive with smiles those whom he would much rather meet with swords. In courts he must not turn himself inside out. All this may nay, must be done, without falsehood and treachery, for it must go no further than politeness and manners, and must stop short of assurances and professions of simulated friendship. Good manners, to those one does not love, are no more a breach of truth than your humble servant at the bottom of a challenge is. They are universally agreed upon and understood, to be things of course. They are necessary guards of the decency and peace of society. They must only act defensively, and then not with arms poisoned by perfidy. Truth, but not the whole truth, must be the invariable principle of every man, who hath either religion, honor, or prudence. Those who violate it may be cunning, but they are not able. Lies and perfidy are the refuge of fools and cowards. Adieu. P.S. I must recommend to you again to take your leave of all your French acquaintance, in such a manner as may make them regret your departure, and wish to see and welcome you at Paris again, where you may possibly return before it is very long. This must not be done in a cold, civil manner, but with at least seeming warmth, sentiment, and concern. Acknowledge the obligations you have to them for the kindness they have shown you during your stay at Paris. Assure them that wherever you are, you will remember them with gratitude, Wish for opportunities of giving them proofs of your plus tendre et respecto souvenir. Beg of them in case your good fortune should carry them to any part of the world where you could be of any the least use to them, that they would employ you without reserve. Say all this, and a great deal more, emphatically and pathetically, for you know si vie me flaire. This can do you no harm if you never return to Paris, but if you do, as probably you may, it will be of infinite use to you. Remember, too, not to omit going to every house where you have ever been once, to take leave and recommend yourself to their remembrance. The reputation which you leave at one place, where you have been, will circulate, and you will meet with it at twenty places where you are to go. That is a labor never quite lost. This letter will show you that the accident which happened to me yesterday, and of which Mr. Grevenkopf gives you account, hath no bad consequences. My escape was a great one. End of section 134. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.